got a question for you uh, before, before I kick off properly. Do you think that you can work out what sort of person someone is from their walk? So, you know, I've, I've got a fairly, fairly normal walk, a very casual walk, you know? So I'm like, I'm quite a laid-back person. I'll saunter around. Uh, that's, that's my walk. I'm fairly laid-back. That's a dodgy walk. Thank you, Colin. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that on the, on the first, first time. So I'm walking away aggrieved now. But, but, but so, some people walk at a real pace, don't they? And they want to get from A to B really quickly, and they're, they're determined, uh, and they may be late as well, perhaps. Who knows? Some people walk, you know, a bit of a swagger, shoulders dipping, like they own the place, you know? They, they, they might be a bit arrogant, maybe. Uh, you know, that's, this is my arena. Some people might walk with their, their head down, shoulders slumped, maybe they're a bit shy, lacking confidence. And some people, like the Olympic walkers, walk so fast that they look like they need the loo. <laughs> or the chicken run or something, I don't know. Can you tell what sort of person is from their walk? Bear that in mind. This is relevant, by the way. Bear that in mind as we continue our journey for Ephesians today in our One New Family series. Since Christmas, um, we've been delving into the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, where he's outlining the importance of living out our faith and what this should look like for the Ephesian Christians and for us as well. And today continues that theme. So we're going to go straight into the passage for today. It's Ephesians 5. If you want to grab your Bibles or open up your Bibles or turn your Bibles on. Um, and we're looking at verses 1 to 20. So it's a bit of a chunk. It's on the screen uh, behind me as well. So we'll read through it and we'll see where we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? 
Father God, thank you for the wonder of your word. There's so much in there, as there always is. I pray, Lord, that you would you just open our hearts and minds to you now. I pray, Holy Spirit, uh, I pray you fill us, as it says there, that I pray you would fill us with your spirit. Uh, even now, I pray just, uh, just uh, yeah, touch our hearts, touch our minds, and may we go away from here uh, closer to you. In your mighty name, amen. Look carefully then how you walk. That's what today is going to be about. Paul must have liked walking. He did a lot of it. Uh, his missionary journeys, he walked mile after mile to go to different towns. He also uses the verb several times in Ephesians as a way to explain how someone is living. Indeed, there are some translations which use the word live rather than walk. So, for example, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And there's several examples in our passage today, including in verse 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, because the days are evil. I quite liked the song before, I walk, I walk, here and there, and even during the conga around the church, which I've not done before, that was great. Paul wants the Ephesians to be careful, not to get drawn into walking, into living in darkness. He's just gone through some examples of where they could fall down after, uh, after he said this, and we'll look at them shortly. But having gone through those, Paul's summary point is to be careful how they walk, to be careful how they live, because it can be easy to slide into wrong ways of living. It can be easy to walk the wrong path. But I think there's another point here as well. As well as warning the Ephesians not to walk in darkness, Paul has also encouraged them to walk in love and to walk as light. We need to be careful to walk in love and to walk as light, precisely because the days are evil. We need to proactively show the world that there is a different way to go, there's a different way to live, a different way to walk and to shine in the darkness. It's vital that we do so. Those around us need to see the light we have. They need to see love in action in all its glory so they can turn to the light of the world. And we'll look at that a bit more later on as well. The standard is pretty high. Imitate God. Just copy God. That's basically all you've got to do. Nice and easy. This is a no-compromise call from Paul to live in holiness. We are called to holy living. But Paul is eager to remind us of who we are even before we set out on this challenging walk. We are, as Paul reminds us in verse 1 of today's passage, we are God's beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And this reminds us of chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, where Paul says, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We are God's children. We are also saints, which means we're holy and blameless. Again, in verse 3 of today's passage, Paul says, But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. And this reminds us of chapter 1, verse 4 of Ephesians, where it says, As he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him, to be saints before him. The first half of Ephesians contains astonishing truths of who we are. 
of what is available to us in Christ and the lengths God went to to rescue us from being dead in sin, from being dead man and dead woman walking. Those truths don't change. The truths of who we are do not change. Our starting position before we walk is secure. The second half of the book is Paul exhorting us to walk according to who we are. At the start of part two of Ephesians, Paul says that in light of all the amazing truths I've just laid out, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, the call to live holy and blameless lives, the call to live as God's beloved children. And what intrigued me this week when looking at this, the first quality that Paul picks to help us live out that life is humility. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. He could have chosen any number of qualities as the first one to help us walk a holy life. He could have chosen courage, boldness, perseverance, all great qualities, all, all qualities that we need. But he chose humility as the first one, the opposite of pride, the opposite of the source of so much sin, the original sin, every sin perhaps. And I think, that's, I think that's important, and it's relevant to what we look at today. It's, it's challenged me this week. So with all that in mind, let's look at how Paul encourages us how to walk carefully. So number one, I've got three points, I think. Look carefully how you walk. Don't push boundaries. So in verse three and four today, Paul lists several areas that he is concerned about. Just some definitions for you. Sexual immorality basically covers all sexual sin. Covetousness, bit of a big word, means having a jealous longing for what others have. Paul describes it in this passage as a form of idolatry. Essentially, it's greed. I don't think, I don't think Paul here is highlighting the in-your-face, obvious, live existing issues with sex, impurity, or greed among the Ephesians, or indeed how they talk. This is not the same level of sin that Paul describes in Ephesians 2, where he describes how they used to walk through life, dead in their sin. So, for example, uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 3, there you go, where he describes that the Ephesians used to carry out the desires of the body and the mind, doing whatever they wanted, no matter what the consequences. And indeed, Paul says in the same verse, this is how we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, before they knew Jesus. I think in this passage today, Paul is concerned that there might be an undercurrent of this sort of stuff affecting the Ephesians, that some might be pushing the boundaries with these types of sin. He's concerned that they might be lured back into that way of thinking, and who knows, eventually, maybe that way of living. Paul's keen that any suggestion of this way of living should be stamped out. Any flirtation with them should be avoided. They should not even be named. They must not even be spoken about. If you've got the NIV version of the Bible translation, uh, in verse 3 it says, there must not even be a hint. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, even a hint of, of greed. The things that Paul, out, uh, that Paul outlines, sex, greed, and how we talk, are things which dominate our world today, even 2,000 years later. We get bombarded by empty words, as Paul pulls them in verse 6, that, that say it doesn't really matter how you live. It doesn't really matter. As long as, as long as it's good for you, as long as it feels good to you and no one gets hurt, it's fine. Go for it. 
it can be easy to get drawn into looking at men or women in a lustful way, into being obsessed with getting the latest technological fad. I don't do that because I don't do, do technology. But into using language, whether that's talking, email, social media, that tears down, that offends, that gossips. You know those occasions when you're in a conversation or if you're, if you're listening into one and something pops into your head that you think, oh, if I say this now, it might, it might cause offence, it might be rude, uh, it might be controversial, but it would be funny. And you've got a choice at that point as to whether you say what's coming into your head. If you don't get this, that's fair. I, I get this quite a lot. I, get, I, I like to sound funny sometimes. It doesn't always work. Um, but occasionally I'll come out of a witty comment which I laugh at and nobody else does. But sometimes a thought comes into my head and I, I know that it will, it's close to the line. It's close to, it's close to the line. And there's, there's, there's one occasion where it stands out to me. This is a number of years ago now when I was at work. And there's a, it's the, the office was full uh, and there's a conversation going on. Uh, and someone asked me a question about a colleague and a thought popped into my head. The colleague was there. Uh, and I thought, oh, this, this will get a laugh. And I had a choice at that moment to say it or not say it, and I said it. And you get that feeling when you say something, you think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. And I said it, and I got the laugh. But I hurt someone. And I'd, I'd, I'd felt awful afterward. I, had, I apologized to her, and, um, and, and she was very gracious. Uh, but it, once it's out there, you can't, you can't claw it back. And, and for a long time afterwards, people referred back to my my really funny joke. Um, but I offended someone, I hurt someone. I've become, a, I've become better, I think, over the years at holding my tongue, although I still occasionally slip out. Just ask Heather examples of that when I say things I probably shouldn't. The more we push boundaries, though, the more we push boundaries, the more we get entangled. And it may result, ultimately, in, in, in us not, just not caring. We may become indifferent. To, to what we're, to the boundaries we're pushing. We may not even see it as a problem. Or it might be that you're so used to living this way, you're so used to having stuff get to you or, or the boundaries that you're pushing, that's part of your normal life, it's part of who you are, and that's just how it is. We can all walk through our Christian life like this, pushing boundaries and putting up with little areas of darkness. Allowing these areas to persist affects you, it affects your walk with God. And it affects how effective you can be for God as well. Paul uses some quite strong language to remind the Ephesians of the consequences of unrepentant sins like these. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Inheritance meaning all that Christ promised us in our salvation. The wrath, which means the anger of God, coming upon the sons of disobedience, this is, this is strong stuff, and it's the same language that Paul used in chapter 2, in those first three verses, when he reminded the Ephesians of who they and who we all once were, dead in our sin, resulting in the consequences of being children of wrath, of being sons of disobedience. At that time, they didn't know God. They didn't care about God. They were unrepentant, and they lived accordingly. I think Paul here is reminding the Ephesians, reminding us of the seriousness of sin. This is what we were saved from. We've been saved from the consequences of our sin. Why on earth would we play around with those things and edge back closer to them? 
Paul uses a similar technique to chapter 2, where the famous chapter 2, verse 4, but to God moment, but God, who is rich in mercy. Here he says, for at one time you were darkness. At one time you were darkness. You had no inheritance and you're under the wrath of God. But now, but now, you are light in the Lord. But now you are light in the Lord. Take a moment to consider what is holding you back in your walk with God. Where have you pushed boundaries and allowed a bit of darkness to remain? Maybe you've justified yourself. Maybe you've justified your way of thinking, saying it doesn't really matter. I'll deal with it another time. Expose them. Expose them. Bring them into the light. Come before God and be brutally honest before him. He knows it anyway. Bring before someone you trust. Being transparent and accountable before someone is a good thing. It's blooming hard to be accountable to someone. It really is. But I tell you what, it works. It's a good thing. It's worth saying at this point that how you walk is not all about you. Walking in love and walking as light is not primarily to benefit you. Sure, the, the more that we do walk in love and do walk in light, the more we imitate God, the deeper we get in our relationship with, with him. The more we discover about God, the stronger we become, and the more we enjoy God. But walking in love and light is about extending God's kingdom. It's about giving of ourselves and living for others. That's the primary reason to walk in love and to walk as light. So the second, the second walk. Look carefully how you walk. Walk in love. In case that sounds a bit abstract, Paul helps us out. He says in verse 2, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, in case you've forgotten, Thursday this week is Valentine's Day. I hadn't forgotten, but I might need to go to the shops afterwards. It's a day when love is celebrated, a day when it costs double to buy flowers and chocolates. <laughs> I might buy some the week after. <laughs> Buying presents for someone is a sign, it's a great sign of of, of how much we value someone, how much we love someone. But it, it shouldn't be left to one day to, to show our love for someone. Arguably, every day ought to be, ought to be Valentine's Day, just not with the associated costs. Buy, buying gifts is great. Giving money to charity is great. Giving a pot noodle and a sandwich to a homeless person on a Sunday morning is great. But if it ends there, it's, it's not enough. How did Christ love us? He, he loved us by coming to earth in the first place. He hung out with people who needed help, who were on the edge of society, and he spent time with them. He showed them compassion. He valued them. He met their needs. He fed them. He healed them. He taught them. He gave them hope. He gave of himself before the cross, and he gave up his life on the cross. His was a life of sacrifice. That is the example that he has given us to follow. We are to love as Christ loved us. And we do so not to get something in return. We do so not to be loved back. We do so because we are already loved. We are beloved children of God. 
our last walk is to walk as light. Paul reminds the Ephesians that they are light in the Lord. So he encourages the Ephesians to walk as children of light. The source of this light is, of course, Jesus, who said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we follow Jesus, we will not walk in darkness. We'll have the light of life. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. Do you know, I genuinely hadn't put the two together until this week. Everyone knows that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But I hadn't twigged that he says, he says that of you and me as well. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. The good works that Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared in advance beforehand for us to do. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. You are the light of Bedford. You're the light of your neighborhood. You're the light of your school, your college, your workplace, your local Tesco, or other supermarket that you go to. That's, that's an astonishing truth and, an, and a massive responsibility. This is why Paul is so eager that the Ephesians and that we deal with any hint of sin that remains, anything that will dull the light within us. Again, this is, this is why being careful how you walk is not about you. Allowing ourselves to get caught up in a compromised way of living where we get distracted or deflated, where we live for ourselves, where we get full of pride, all that affects our call to be, to be light to the world. This is where, over the years, I've, I've struggled with this. I, I, get, I tend to get down on myself quite easily. Uh, and when, I've, when I fall over, when I trip up, when I mess up, um, when I give in to an old temptation, an old fear, I'd, I'd hammer myself. I would absolutely hammer myself. A pawed that allowed the same rubbish to get to me again. So I'm better now at dealing with it, but I still mess up a heck of a lot. I say things I shouldn't. I don't do things I should. I think things that are not good. I tell bad jokes. The danger is, is that when I fall down, it can ruin my day. It can take me out. It can rob me of joy, and my focus is gone for the day. And this is what the enemy will, the enemy will do. He will, he will undermine in any way that he can. He'll undermine the light in you. He will dim the light that you have. What I'm still learning, and the challenge I felt this week preparing this, is that humility is the key to this. I have a tendency to be over-analytical. There's no way, honey. Yes. I tend to overanalyze, and that, that can lead to me overthinking things and being sort of a bit introspective. I also have a, a tendency to, to want the last word, which I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> which never happens apparently. But I like to get my point across. But all that stuff points to a lack of trust in God, and it points to pride. To walk in humility is to lay down my desires, to lay down my right to an answer, to lay down my desire to win the argument. To walk in humility is to love first, 
to build up, to protect the light within me. I was given um, I was given a word a few weeks sorry a few months ago even uh, by by Pete Rasu, um, and hold on. I was I was on the edge of this pit, uh, and I had a rope, and I was to throw the rope into the pit, so that I could haul people who were in the pit, who were in the dark pit, I could haul them out. I thought, okay, that's, that's interesting. And then a few weeks later, he said to me, I've got a bit more for you. I had to go down the rope into the pit, into the dark place, to get people out, to show them where the rope was. And then a few, just a few weeks ago, when we had a prayer meeting here at South, uh, which was, yeah, the Holy Spirit moved in a, in a really big way, he said that I was holding a lamp in the pit so that I could see where I was going and so people could see me. We all walk. We all walk in dark places. We all carry light. I was going to get you all to get your phones out and do the light thing and all that, but it's a bit bright. I won't do that, that's fine. The point is that we can all shine Christ's light in the darkness and reveal the darkness for what it is. We can show people another way, a way out. Not in, any, not in a sort of judgmental, I'm better than you sort of way, that will win no one for Jesus, but in humility, in a way that says, let me show you someone who can free you from your pain, from your addiction, from your hurt. We've all messed up. We all have different types of messed upness. And we all need someone to sort it out for us. Jesus went to the cross in a walk of love that cost him his life and bought us our freedom. He died on the cross to take your messed upness on himself and to free you from that. As Rich reminded us, as we sung this morning, because the sinless Savior died, because he died, your sinful soul is counted free. He offers you new life in relationship with him, walking with him, walking in the freedom he's won for you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with him, that's what he's done for you. He's given himself up for you in an act of love that is incomparable. He offers you the opportunity to give him your rubbish, to give him your fears and your shame, the hidden stuff that maybe no one knows about, your pride, and to receive freedom in return. Have a chat with Houston, Rich, myself, anyone afterwards, if any of that resonates, if you want to just talk that through. Come on, Alpha. Second plug. Come on, Alpha. If you're not sure about your faith, if you're not sure about Jesus, if you're not sure about this whole Christian thing, Alpha is a chance for you to ask questions and to, to learn about the Christian faith and to say, what does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? How can I have faith? You get a free meal as well. We carry light into dark places. And the thing is, and what's challenging me and us at the moment is, it's time to go. It's time to walk. It's time to get off my chair and to go. 
And that's an invitation, for, that's an invitation and a challenge for all of us. Revival can only happen if we walk in love and walk as light and do so with humility. At the start, I asked the question, can you tell what sort of person someone is by the way they walk? Despite my dodgy walk. <laughs> despite, despite my dodgy walk. Can people tell that you're walking in love? Can people tell that you have the light of Christ within you? Because revival can only happen if we are imitating God, if we are, if we are on that journey, if we are being as Christ. That's quite daunting. But thankfully, just as it isn't about us, it's also not down to us to work it out on our own. To look carefully how you walk, both avoiding pushing boundaries and to walk well, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Perhaps the most famous chunk in this passage, which I thought I wouldn't focus on until the end, be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you to go. The Holy Spirit empowers you to walk in love and to walk as light. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to imitate God and to live as Christ. And I, I love how you've got Father, you've got Son, and you've got Holy Spirit in this, in this chapter working together. Paul introduces the encouragement to be filled with the Spirit with the contrast, do not get drunk on wine. Don't seek release from the difficulties of life through wine or anything else. Don't go for escapism, for a short-term release before reality hits again. Paul says that is debauchery, which is a weird word, but essentially means indulging in excessive escapism to the point where it will ruin you. We can look around us at what's happening in the world today and get a bit depressed, get a bit deflated and a bit disillusioned. There's a whole heck of stuff going on. And it's understandable to want to escape it and to want to get a release from it. But Paul here is warning against burying our head in the sand. We are not to chase after cheap thrills as a release from this dark world. The only way to permanent, effective, and joy everlasting release is to be filled with the Spirit. And it's, it's not as a one-off. The verb be filled, and I don't study Greek, Greek, but apparently be filled is a present imperative, which basically means go on being filled with the Spirit. It's ongoing, it's continuous, it's non-stop. It's not an injection, a one-off injection of the Spirit to keep you going for the day or the week or the month. Paul tells us to keep on going, being filled with the Spirit. What an invitation. At, at, the, um, at the Living Water Conference we had at, at a church uh, in October last year, the, sort of the, the, the verses that were the, the theme of the conference for John 7, 37, 38. If anyone thirsts, which I do, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you're thirsty, don't drink from the world. Don't get drunk on the promises of the world which cannot deliver and end up in disillusionment at best and ruined lives at worst. If you're thirsty, Come to Jesus. Drink and be filled. Not just a little, not just, you know, a quarter of the way down. Not halfway, 
not just to where, you're, where you think you're filled up, but to the point where rivers of living water flow out of you. You're not, you're not encouraged to be filled as a pond where there's no outflow. You're encouraged to be filled continuously to generate a flow of the Spirit through you, which overflows into the world around you. And look what happens. Look what happens when we're filled with the Spirit in that way. Relationships with others are positively affected. Imagine greeting one another on a Sunday morning with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Maybe one Sunday we should have that. You can't talk. When you greet each other, you have to bring a psalm or you have to sing a song or you have to do that sort of thing. It's a beautiful image of being welcoming. What a welcoming way that is. And the contrast to the foolish, filthy talk and crude joking from earlier could not be starker. Your relationship with God grows and gets deeper and deeper as you sing and make melody to him. Sing praise, sing praise. Spontaneous rejoicing to our God. What a beautiful overflow that is. You're thankful to God for all things, in all situations, recognizing his provision, his generosity, and his sovereignty. Whether you're going through good times or bad times. Again, what an antidote to the self-centered talk greed and desires that Paul was concerned about earlier in this chapter. Being filled with the Spirit enables you to go after God in a way that says, I'm going to imitate him. I will walk in love. I will walk as light. And this takes courage to go again and again and again and not to be taken out, not to be deflated or dismayed when you trip and fall. When you walk, you will trip. If you're sat down, you can't trip, but you get nowhere. When you walk, you will trip and fall over. Get up and go again. And simply by virtue of not going along with the world, by refusing to compromise the way you walk, you're being pioneering. You're showing a different way to those around you. You see how I slid in the cultures of the church there. It's quite nice. Being filled with the Spirit is not for you. It's not to keep to yourself. It's not just to fill up to the top and that's it. It's not to be contained. Being filled with the Spirit is for overflow. So my question to you is, and it's not a new question, and I ask it of myself as well, do you want some of that? Do you want some of that? It, it, just, it scares me more than a little bit because I quite like control. I quite like to know what is and what isn't going to happen. That's why I find anchoring really hard, <laughs> because you've got no idea what's going to happen. But my calling isn't to be in control. My calling isn't to control my walk. It's not to limit God. Learning to walk in step with and be filled with the Holy Spirit is a lifelong journey. You won't ever get it fully right, but that's not the point. The point is, is that the, a willingness to be filled in an ongoing way. And we're going to take some time shortly to, to be filled. I just want to encourage you to take every opportunity to be prayed for by someone. On a Sunday morning, in your, in your group, in the midweek. Uh, tonight, pursuing God. Come along to Northside, 7 o'clock. It's an opportunity to, to, to do it as a, as a church. Can we stand, if you're able to, please?
can a band come up as well? Awesome. Okay, so this is kind of a catch-all in some ways, but there are two or three things uh, I want to encourage you to think about and maybe respond to if that's, if that's on your heart. One is um, your language, the way you talk. Uh, as Paul described there, uh, if you... If you feel that you struggle with 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 how you how you talk, if you feel that you overstep the mark a lot of the time, if you feel that you're someone who uh, just wants to get some prayer to to help out with that, to say actually I I want to I want to use my my tongue for good, to build up, not to tear down, to to encourage, not to tell jokes at someone's expense. Come forward and, and we'll pray for you. That pit. Paul, Paul reminded the Ephesians here in this chapter again that once you were darkness, once you were darkness, most of you here are Christians. Most of you are out of the pit. And if it wasn't for someone coming into the pit to drag you out, you'd still be there. And I just, just want to encourage you that if something's burning on your heart where you think, actually, you know what? I need to get in the pit. I need to get down there and get some people out. I want to go down there and shine my light and get some people out. We should be having, we, we need a heart cry for the lost. We need a heart cry for those who do not know Jesus. We need, we need, to, we need to be impassioned for those who do not know him, for those who have no hope. If that's on your heart, just come forward and receive. And lastly, and this is the ultimate catch-all perhaps, come forward just to receive prayer, to be filled with the Spirit, just to receive prayer. Come be filled. So I'm, I'm going to be first in the queue. I'm going to step down now, and I, we've got a prayer team, and... So if someone can pray for me, that'd be great. I'm going to get down here, and I, I, I want to I take the opportunity, I want to take every opportunity to be filled mm. and to have someone pray for me so that I can get my mind into a mindset of, actually, I can do this all the time. I want to be blessed by others. I want to be a blessing to others. Come down. I'm going to turn off now.